I hope you all enjoyed the picnic today. My forehead is hurting because of the sun. I'm very sunburned uh, at the minute, which, as you'll find out in a few minutes, is very funny. Um, so, before I get to the, the funny bit, uh, I, was, um, I was reminiscing about school, as I often do. Whenever, whenever I'm trying to write a talk, I always struggle. How do I start off? How do you begin a talk? And I always begin a talk with something personal to me and open it out. And when I think of something personal to me, I always go back to school. Um, I'm not going to talk about being a teacher today, Jordan, so don't worry. I'm going to talk about when I was actually in school. And when I was in school, I really didn't like Shakespeare, which um, might surprise some of you because that's eventually why I went into teaching. But my memories are sitting in a boiling room when I was in year eight, so I was, what, 12? Um, and there was this grumpy old man, Mr. Bekeithley, we'll take that out of the recording, um, who, uh, who would sit there and read to us each part of a Shakespeare play in his monotone voice. He wouldn't let anyone, we weren't allowed to join in. We just had to sit there, um, listen to him, and then answer questions about what he had read. So no one in that room liked Shakespeare. It wasn't until I went to university and we spent an entire afternoon hurling Shakespearean insults at each other. Not through choice, it was part of the course. <laughs> a, a very good use of taxpayers' money, I'm sure. But we were sat there hurling insults at one another, and I thought, you know what, yeah, he's quite funny, actually. Uh, and that's what made me fall in love with Shakespeare at, at first, was the way he makes characters insult one another, because they're ridiculous, and yet somehow they're devastating. I found a little list, and I picked my favourite ones, but these ones I picked this week, before today, and the first one is genuinely, thine face is not worth sunburning. <laughs> Clearly that's not aimed at me. The next one, I think this is poetic, I think this is lovely. You have such a February face, so full of frost, of storm and cloudiness. I think we all know a few of those. And this last one, <laughs> this last one I implore you to use. Um, in a nice way, of course, we don't like to be mean. Thou damned and luxurious mountain goat. <laughs> luxurious makes it sound quite nice, doesn't it? Um, but the issue with these insults is they're not realistic, are they? If you get into a fit of rage when you're arguing with someone and, and you really want to insult them, you don't have the wherewithal to, sh to throw out, you've got such a February face. Because... It's just not realistic. You get flustered, and in reality, you end up saying something much worse that you regret later on. Or even worse, which happens to me all the time, is when you walk away, and then you think of the perfect thing to say. Yeah, does anyone else do that? You think, oh, I wish I had said that then. And then you begin to play out that conversation in your mind. You think, well, I would have said this, actually. Oh, and then they would have said this. And then I would have responded with that. And before you know it, you're fuming. You're apoplectic with rage. That's your phrase for the day. Because you're sat in a room by yourself arguing with no one. And people tend to do that a lot. When we get angry about something, an injustice that's happened, that just doesn't sit right with us, we let it wind us up. We let it play on our minds until it gets bigger and bigger and you're consumed with anger. Usually it's something small. Uh, someone cuts you off on a roundabout. That's really annoying. Someone's rude to you in a shop. 
someone mistakes you for Jordan. <laughs> the source of all my jokes. <laughs> and you shaved it off without consulting me. Um, but the, the real problem is, how can we let it go? Because we can't. What can we do then? What can we do as Christians? How can we retaliate? Well, the truth is, even those lovely Shakespearean insults are wrong. We shouldn't be attacking anyone, verbally or physically. Instigating or responding, that's part of being a Christian. There should be no form of attack. The issue comes then with that anger, that burning ball of lead that sits in your stomach when you're sat all alone, doing the right thing. You've done what you think's right, you go home, they're not bothered, you're still angry. The phrase, being the bigger person, is something most of you will have heard of. It means ignoring the insults, the attacks that are being aimed at you, and walking away from the problem. It's easy to say, be the bigger person, it's four words. But walking away with that anger, with that need to fight back, is one of the most difficult things to do. Another way of saying, be the bigger person, is turn the other cheek. Now, it was quite a famous fellow who coined that phrase, and his words were much better than Shakespeare's. When we think of Jesus, we picture him walking around with 12 people following behind him. And, and that is uh, what he was like for a time. But that time period where he had uh, these 12 people following him was only about two and a half years, from about 28 AD to 30 AD, um, when he was crucified. All the amazing teachings came from just a short period of time. When you think about how long it takes to um, put up an extension in Guernsey, or how long it takes to fix a road, or how long it takes to sort out electricals on the road, you think in two and a half years, Jesus did all of that. Near the beginning of his time, of this two and a half year period, Jesus was with his disciples and some other people who wanted to hear him speak, and they went up uh, into a mountain and he taught. And that was called uh, the Sermon of the Mount, which I'm sure most of you will have heard of, and um, it can be found in the Gospels. But we're going to look at Matthew today, Matthew chapter 5. And in his teachings, among other things, Jesus says in verse 21, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Judgment here is a nice word covering for a worse word. When Jesus says judgment, he means punishment. Jesus is saying murder is a sin, taking a life is against God. But then goes on to say, Anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will also be subject to judgment. It's sin. Sin is sin in the eyes of God. You're going against God when you're angry with people. When we read brother or sister, we're not, we're not talking about your actual brother or sister um, biologically. If you have accepted Jesus into your life, you know that God is the Father. If God is the Father, he is all of our Father and therefore we are brothers and sisters through God. But that belief 
is our belief. It also pushes out to the people who haven't accepted Jesus yet. They're still our brothers and sisters. They just haven't yet found God. Continues again. Anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fires of hell. So I'm just going to define that a bit. There is um, a bit of a couple of words in there that have changed because as times change, language changes, um, combined with the fact that the New Testament was written uh, in Greek, translated to English via Latin, words get lost. So the first word, raka, is Aramaic. It means worthless or vain or senseless. It's an insult. Fool doesn't mean fool. Okay, we all think we know what fool means today if we call someone a fool. It's, it's silly. It means like, oh, you're silly. It's quite endearing sometimes. Oh, you're such a fool. It might mean idiot, but no one really uses that as an insult. It's not strong enough. But it was then. Fool then would mean a wicked person or an ungodly person. And remember at this point, Jesus is a Jewish man teaching other Jewish people. Jews were forbidden from calling one another a fool for fear of being pulled up in front of the council, which is mentioned in the verse. Council is a, a group of Jewish officials. Jesus is saying, don't worry. Don't worry about the, uh, those Jewish officials, those people who have got power over you, who might be angry with you. If you're going to be angry, and in your anger, call other people names, that's the least of your worries. Because really, you risk going to hell. The irony here, of course, is that by teaching these things, by telling them about their mistakes and how they need to change to repent and to follow him, Jesus is making people very angry. That's their reaction at the time. They were outraged. Matthew continues, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Well, let's break that bit down. So offering your gift is a form of worship um, through sacrifice, animal sacrifice, not people sacrifice. It was an act of faith um, and uh, a big part of Judaism um, that isn't practiced widely now, but I'm sure it is still some places. Uh, but in 28 AD, it was quite common um, a burnt offering. Jesus is saying, if you're angry with someone, if you're mad, don't try and pray yet. Go and make your peace with that person, end the conflict, resolve the anger. Of course, these things are situational. He's not saying, you're not allowed to pray until you've solved this. He's not saying, even if it takes five years, wait. He's just making a point of how important it is to settle those disputes, to settle that anger, to let it die. Because our relationship with God is directly linked to our relationship with the people around us. If you are the most uh, biblical person in the world and you follow the rules exactly, and yet you're rude to people, you shout at people, you call people names, God knows and he's not happy. We're taught to love others as God loves us. John 13, 34, a new command I give you. Love one another 
As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Oh, that's hard at times, isn't it? It's hard, but it's important. That's the point. Okay, it's difficult. How can you say you love a person if you harbour anger towards them? If you want to hurt them physically or emotionally? Well, either way, if you want either of those things, you're not following God's will. You're not doing right by him. And in life, it's very easy to say the right thing. It's very easy to get people off your back. It's easy to say, oh, no, I'm fine, honestly, when someone keeps asking you if you're okay. But saying it doesn't make it true. God knows our hearts. If we're angry, it doesn't matter how well we hide it on the surface. It doesn't matter how many people genuinely think you're okay. God knows the truth. And he knows that your relationship with him is being hindered by that anger. Don't put your sacrifice on the altar and pray as if it's all okay. Go and resolve the issue calmly with the other person or people and then bring your offering. Then pray and your relationship with God will be stronger for it. So let's go back to the Sermon on the Mount, back to the book of Matthew, a few verses later. Jesus refers back to the Old Testament and puts things right. Bear in mind, he's talking to Jewish people who hold this text um, in very high esteem. They're part of their holy book, the Torah, is the first five books of the uh, Old Testament. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. That's a quote from Exodus. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. It's important to highlight at this point that that is a euphemism. Um, and if someone does slap you, just move away from them. But forgive them. Don't fight back in anger. Don't allow yourself to sin in retaliation to their sin. So let's just have a midway roundup. So far, we've seen that one. Jesus doesn't want us to be angry towards people. Two, it's a sin to do so. And three, if we are a victim of anger, we're to forgive the person who's angry, to move on, to continue our relationship with God without anger. Because otherwise, by not doing so, we're damaging that relationship. It's very easy for us all to sit here now in this lovely church on this beautiful day and go, oh yes, yes, I think I will do that actually. Yes, I think I will turn the other cheek. It's a very good idea. The problem is, when you're in that position, when you're the one who's been slapped, called a fool, hurt in some way, it's really tough. It's really tough to turn the other cheek and walk away from that experience. We carry a lot of things around with us, in our heads and in our hearts. And very often, when we bottle that up, it builds and it builds and it can't be contained and then it explodes out of us in a really angry and damaging way to those around us. So how can we bring ourselves to shed our anger? It's easier said than done, but we're flawed. Not one of us perfect, saved only by the grace of God. It takes work. It's not something you can walk away with from here today. There's not a switch to flip or a tablet to take that's going to make your anger disappear immediately. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 and 7 says, 
So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Just hear that verse 7 again. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. God knows your worries, and he will take them from you if you submit them to him. When we're stuck in that burning anger, when we feel like we have a fire in our bellies and we can't let it out because we're trying to look like we have everything under control, when you have that molten lead ball sitting in your chest that's hindering you from going about your daily lives, remember this, hot air rises. If you let go of your troubles, of that burning anger, it will float on up and God will take it all on. It's nothing to him. He doesn't feel it. He feels joy. He feels joy that you're removing that barrier, that anger that's in the way of you loving him. God wants your problems. He wants to take them from you, but you have to give them up. So we're going to do something a little bit different uh, today. Um, We have a box, and I want uh, each of you to take a post-it note. Uh, And if um, you get a pen, and I want you to write on this post-it note something that is causing you to harbour anger, something that you're angry about that you can't seem to let go of, something, uh, an injustice in the world that you just are really upset about. It could be something that, uh, that happened today that's small, you know, someone driving in a bad way. It could be something huge, something that's going on globally somewhere else. If you can't think of anything, still take a piece of paper, fold it up. And over the course of the next three or four minutes, we're going to listen to some music, and I want you to come and put it in this box here. This box has been taped around the side with the gaffer tape. This box is never going to be opened ever again. Because, and you'll like this, Phil, we're going to burn it. We're going to take it outside, and we're going to burn it. And as it burns, it's all symbolic, but I want you to watch the smoke. And I want you to watch that smoke rising up And I want you to imagine God taking those problems away. Now, for fear of being seen as that weird church who will stand around burning fire and praying, we're going to pray in here first, and then we're going to go out and set things on fire. So, I'll give you uh, five minutes. Mm, No, I'll give you three and a half minutes. uh, And to write your thing down, um, and then we'll come back and we will pray uh, for the end. Thank you, Lou. All right, folks, so this is what we're going to do. Um, I'm going to pray, and then we're all going to uh, very carefully go outside. And there's, uh, you would have seen as you came in, there's a fire pit which is surrounded by fences. So stand around that, but still stand a couple of feet away from the fences. You can stand all around it. Um, And then we're going to put the box on the fire, and music will start in here after that box is on the fire. Whilst you're out there, say your own prayer in your head. Come through. The enabling team are going to be in the foyer. We're going to treat this. I don't know if any of you are into Star Trek. The foyer is an airlock, okay? So our anger is in this box. We're going to take it outside. We're going to burn it. We're going to give our problems to God. Then we're going to come into the airlock. And if you feel like, actually, I've still got a bit of taste in my mouth, the enabling team are there for you. 
And then we're going to come in here and peacefully, but very loudly, worship God. So, if you're able, please stand uh, and we will pray. Lord, we are flawed. We allow our anger to flare from time to time, which is not only dangerous to our relationship with you, but also to our relationship with those around us. Lord, I pray that you can inspire us with the strength, with the resilience, and with the calmness to turn the other cheek, to be the bigger person, to allow ourselves to forgive those who have hurt us so that we can submit all of our pain and our anger to you so that we can grow in our walk with you and help to make strong your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.